You're listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Hi, I'm John Collins, Managing Editor at Intercom. Welcome to the Inside Intercom podcast, a show all about learning how to build better products and businesses through conversations with leaders in the world of product management, design, startups, marketing, and more. This week's guest is Intercom's content strategy lead, Elizabeth McGuan, who joined Des Trainer, one of our co-founders and a podcast regular. Elizabeth has consulted with major brands like Lloyds Bank, Barclays, Honda, and Eon, but for the last year has been working with us in-house as our content strategy lead. Her role is all about working with language, tone, and mental models to create better experiences for our customers. Des and Elizabeth had a wide-ranging chat about content strategy at startups and product companies, including the importance of defining the right tone for different parts of your product, while still giving people freedom to express themselves. I think this is particularly true for Intercom because we're building a product that helps people express themselves and we don't want something that feels we want something that feels functional, but we also want something that allows that expression to happen. So there's always like a, a push-pull and it's a decision that you have to make. Why it's essential for a content strategist to be able to jump into basic design or coding tools to make changes to the live environment. While, you know, everything should be content first and you should design around the content, obviously it's actually more of a back and forth. And that's actually the most fun and an interesting way to do it. And why content strategy can help you better create chatbot experiences. People look at words and they think, well, every new sentence is a brand new sentence, like completely crafted, never been heard before. And actually, you know, if you look at the patterns behind the sentences, you know, the verb structures, how we use pronouns, like all of those things have to follow a pattern and often for really, really specific reasons. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Elizabeth and Des. Hey, Elizabeth. Hi, Des. So this is all going to be about content strategy. And uh, for a lot of our listeners, they're going to be like, content what? So let's maybe just start with, like, what is content strategy? How do you define it? Cool. Well, I think a lot of people might confuse it with things like content marketing and content governance and content, insert other word here. Um, And all those things I would think of as part of content strategy. So I think it's a big umbrella that lots of things can fit into. Um, But at its heart, it's really a design discipline. So when we practice content strategy at Intercom, we're talking about the foundations of what we're building. So the terminology we use, how we define things, the actual visible words you can see in the product, how it all fits together, and also then the voice, the tone of voice of the product itself. So those are kind of like the underlying basics of content strategy that feed into everything else that we do to talk about the product. So the marketing references the product. So everything should really come from there. It should come from the heart of how you define everything. Right. So it's both like, uh, clearly it's external because it's like what people see and experience in the product, both in terms of the words we use and the tone we speak in. But then it's also, it seems like it has an internal purpose as well. Yeah, it kind of has. I mean, I kind of think of content strategists as the librarians in a sense, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I think that's a really proud thing to be. Um, And I have a lot of friends who are librarians who would be happy that I said that. I think it definitely is a connective tissue between a lot of different disciplines. So I would spend as much time talking to engineers about how we're defining our um, terminology in in code and to our analytics team as well. We did a blog post recently about how we restructured our um, event naming. Um, And so that's like very, very technical aspect of content strategy, but fundamentally we're talking about the same things. We're talking about what are things, what are the things we're building, how do we describe them in an effective way, and how do we do it in a way that we understand and that therefore our users will understand. And if you take something like Intercom, it's like it's a reasonably broad product. So it means there's a lot of different concepts in Intercom, from like messages to people to companies to automatic messages. 
the simplicity and sort of uh, like consistency of tone, probably mo- consistency of word use, probably matters a good bit there, right? It definitely does. I mean, I think one of the things, like I, you know, with Intercom, um, when we started out, obviously there were people at, in the company that really cared about content and thought about language in a really careful way, and we chose really, really simple words. The problem for us has been that as the product has expanded, those simple words are applied to all kinds of different things that don't all quite mean the same thing. Sometimes I feel like I have a list of words that's like twenty-five words long, and I have to sort of make it fit uh, all these different use cases. So a lot of the work we're doing now is really getting down to clarity and making sure that the words we're using actually. Define what the product does now and give it some room to grow as well. What's an example of one of those uh, sort of conflicts? Would it be like, you know, I know we used the word, I think, people at the beginning. Uh, have we moved to user these days? Yeah, uh, we call this like the people problem. Right. Um, so we we use the word people, you know, in our pricing to talk about the people that you talk to. So we're talking to our customers and our marketing. So we talk about people. These are the people you're talking to. Um, we use this a lot in our, our advertising. And it is really simple conceptually when you think about it, but then when you're actually trying to like purchase a product or use the product, you need a bit more granularity to understand, am I talking to visitors to a website who aren't logged in or actual active users? And so we do have now a system where we talk about, we call them teammates within Intercom, so the people who actually use Intercom because they're all on Teams, and then we have customers, or if we want more granularity, we can say end users, visitors, leads, and stuff. So So you get kind of progressively more complicated depending on the use case. Yeah, I guess you can say you get progressively more granular depending on the use case, yeah. So I'm going to ask a question that almost, no matter what the discipline, everyone says, ooh, from the start. But like, when does it make sense for like, like a lot of our listeners would be like early stage startups, or like there are like small teams within a large company starting something new. At what point should they be applying the content strategy lens, or rather, you know, what's a sign that you've left it too late? Yeah. um, Okay. So I'm not going to say from the start, just because you said that. Um, I think that it's one of those things that you'll either realize you've been doing it anyway, and you'll realize that it just becomes something that somebody needs to do full time. So you've you've already been paying attention to terminology and to structure and to user experience and language in the user experience. And so you've been thinking about it and it just becomes something that you need someone to manage. That's a really good trigger for when it needs to be a job on its own. Or you realize that you haven't been thinking about it and you're your product is kind of a mess and it, you're using the same word to mean two different things and people are asking lots of questions about clarity and not understanding the basic system that you have. So let's drill into that mess there because you spoke about like the same word being used for two different things. I presume the inverse is a problem as well, like two different words being used for the same thing. I yeah, absolutely. Pres- we have like, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's your fault. I know, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, also I presume you've got like crazy variance in tone from like you know, the strict to the casual. Yeah, tonal variants are funny because I think you'll find these unusual tones in parts of the product or in marketing or in the whole kind of content experience that you wouldn't expect. So you might like delve into like developer documentation and find like emojis like running rampant just because some developer got bored and decided to have a little bit of fun with how they write it. So you'll find these different things. And I think, um, you know, it's it's a balance between consistency and what feels right for the product. And also, and I think this is particularly true for Intercom because we're building a product that helps people express themselves and we don't want something that feels we want something that feels functional but we also want something that allows that expression to happen so there's always like a, a push pull and it's a decision that you have to make about the right choice for that experience or that part of the experience um, when you're using other products that are out there 
you know, in the same way designers are offended by like, oh my God, the light source is incorrect in this, you know, icon or whatever designers say these days, it's not flat enough or something. What's the, like, the content strategist's obvious bugbear? Is it like, that's the wrong word or you're, you're misusing this or it's like, I don't understand your concept model here? Or? Yeah. I mean, I think there's the classic things like terrible dialogues and modals that people don't understand and that they don't understand what hitting, you know, if I have cancel and close beside each other or cancel and get rid of this content and I don't know what to do. Um, I think there's probably people out there who are bothered by particular pieces of grammar. I mean, there's lots of people in just the human race who are bothered by things like that. Um, but for me, it's much more about, it's probably two things. One is is just length, like people just trying to over-explain something instead of finding like the one thing that actually needs to be explained. And then I think the second thing is just when I see evidence of what I would call um, uh, sort of like the org, people not talking to each other, like the org chart being made visible across right. a whole product experience. So when I can tell that the marketing and the product are not aligned and therefore that means that like there's, to me, I'm like, oh, there's like a strategic problem going on there that needs to be resolved. So that's kind of like one of the things that like a content strategist would probably pick up on. Right, right. Is it fair to say like you talk a bit about copy, but that's only because it's the most tangible output, right? Like it's not, you know, the job is much broader than the actual strings of text, but it's the strings of text, like much like designers ultimately create pixels in a sense. Yeah. Uh, however, design is not about pixels. Exactly. Kind of strategy, obviously words are the output, but kind of strategy is not about microcopy, right? Yeah, words are part of the output. Like like you pointed out earlier, internal communication and keeping people aligned is part of the output, like um, just doing sort of system modeling and structural work. Those kind of deliverables will be part of the output. But I think there's also a part of it that's like the words being part of the output isn't a bad thing. Like as we see in working on the messenger, words can be incredibly powerful. Like five simple words in a messenger interface can carry a huge weight in a product. So yeah, I think the design aspect of it is definitely felt in the words that you see. And while those are only equivalent to pixels and colors, they are still incredibly important and incredibly valuable. So you mentioned the messenger there. Maybe we could talk about like a sample project. So the Messenger is was a kind of a ground up reimagination of what it means to talk to people on a website or inside a product, and we, we basically redid everything. And we, when we did our Messenger before that, you weren't in the company, I believe. So this is your first sort of involvement in it. How how did how was your engagement in that project? What, what when did you come in? What did you work on? Yeah, I came in um, pretty late. I mean, it was a couple of months before we actually launched, but in terms of like the design work, a lot of it had, had been done. Um, but like any project, you know, you're working on it right up until the end, and there's a lot of change and a lot of uh, reexamination. And you know, the PM on that project, Brian Dunahue, was like incredibly detailed and incredibly focused on like getting it right. And I had worked with him previously at another company, so he brought me right in, and we started talking about the concepts behind all of the elements that had been created. So we had redesigned certain aspects of the messenger, like profile cards, and even the fields within those profile cards. So um, what is a team profile supposed to be for, and how does it feel personal? And if we're asking people to introduce themselves, why are we actually asking them to do that? What should they actually say? And trying to be really specific, because I think the power of great microcopy and great interface copy is being able to tell people exactly what to do clearly so they don't have to think about it. So it's really easy to design something that looks very beautiful, but then you might have pieces of that interface that even though it's incredibly spare, that are still kind of like unclear in terms of their motivation. So that's where we started. And we worked a lot on how we talked about just different parts of the design work. So a lot of it was almost with the engineers and the designers sort of clarifying what it was we had actually built or were building as we went along. The engineers on that team were fantastic, and they came up with this phrase called same language from code to customer, which was that they wanted to be able to create um, in our code base the same, use the same terminology, so team and teammate as opposed yeah. to like admin or something else. Yeah. 
um, and have that appear in the interface as well. So there's a lot of people in Intercom who are really enthusiastic about and incredibly focused on detail, and that's a really satisfying thing to be. In terms of the same language from code to customer, does that mean, like, let's say, like a certain type of in-app message, to, like literally the Ruby code that models it down to like the methods that implement it down to the UI label, down to what we call it all the way through our marketing, it's all the same thing? Yeah. So like if a new engineer came in and they were looking at the code base and they were like, what is this thing? And we had something articulated in our design patterns and then also visible in the interface and the way we described it in the interface. So say if you have a message type called a note, which we do, this was the word we use in two ways that I was talking about earlier. We also have internal notes that you use in the inbox so that you should be able to understand by looking at the code and being able to compare that to designs and compare that to what we actually have on, like that our customers see um, and it should all be the same. It should be simple and easy. And that's incredibly hard to be simple and easy in that way, especially when you're trying to sort of retrofit or re-engineer stuff that's already been built. What was the most controversial or difficult parts, content strategy point of view of our latest Messenger release? Um, I probably would have said when it launched that it was this design feature um, called Borderless that we designed. This was just a, a really nice way to experience sort of a messaging context without opening like a big heavy messenger chrome and you know that was because we spent a lot of time talking about what we should call it and so for me that felt like the most pressing thing at the time but actually since then i think the most pressing thing has been and i kind of referred to it before is this sort of idea of an introduction so if you're asking someone to introduce themselves to their customers what's the most effective way of doing that and that's the thing we've iterated the most and it really comes down to intercom's mission so what does it mean to be personal so if you're asking someone to introduce themselves to their customers so that their customer can get to know them, what's actually the effective way of doing that? Do you want them to say, hey, I'm Des and I like surfing on the weekends? Or should it be like, hey, I'm Des and I am you know, have this role and I can help you in this way, right? Yeah. So like, what's the real thing that you want people to do? Yeah. And we're you know, all about being personal and we want people to be able to express themselves. So we're kind of opting for something a bit more freeform. But it's just been a really interesting kind of like almost like that's intercom's mission in one field kind of question. Are there any words or phrases that cause you particular pain when you see them or anything you've had to be like, you know what, this always bites us, so let's never use it? I mean, people is a definitely a big one because we get a lot of like confused questions about it because of the way we've, we've traditionally talked about it. And, and one of the most satisfying things is being able to move that along and, you know, new releases of our product store and working with the, our growth team on that. And I think that's one of the places where like content strategy, though the work is founded in the product team and in design work, it kind of has an impact across the organization. Other than that, I think it's more a tendency to over-explain ourselves. So we have a really complicated product that does lots of different things. And sometimes we are so enmeshed in it ourselves and, and we work through the designs. It's detail. And I think any product team would experience this as well. And we sort of forget that we don't have to like literally explain every single step of how it works. We just have to take you to the next step. I think you were talking at uh, one of your conference talks recently about the word soon and how like every time you include it in the, in the UI, you're like, this is probably not going to work. Yeah, I think that's it was almost like a psychological test when we did user testing of the word soon. I feel like it's like the most dangerous word in the English language for us. And I think I said that people, when they hear soon, they mean they think it means either right away or never. Like people interpret it as like either this interface is lying to me and nobody's ever going to reply to my message. Mm -hmm. um, if we say like, oh, they'll reply to you soon. Or some people think it means right away. It's just how people interpret really, really simple words. And a lot of the most interesting work that I've been able to do has been working with the messenger team to get those like five word strings of text exactly right and then iterate on them. 
when you're on projects like this, what are like the sort of, you know, like UX designers have their wireframes and engineers obviously have their software. Uh, what are like the artifacts? Like what tools does a content strategist use? Yeah, I think it depends on the task at hand. So when I first came in, just for my own purposes, just to understand the lay of the land, the first thing I did was a product taxonomy, which is essentially just an audit of literally every word that we have in the product. And it wasn't just sort of a, like a long, flat list. It was then, what is this thing, and how do I categorize it, and how does it relate to these other things, and where are there inconsistencies or the same words used in multiple ways? Um, so that was definitely the first thing. And I also produced glossary. Sounds like a spreadsheet, was it? It was a spreadsheet, <laughs> yeah. yes. <laughs> there is sometimes yeah. no prettier way to do things. No, right. um, and I think the next level, and this is something I still do, was a public glossary. So this is kind of part of our keeping us honest, making sure that we stick to the terminology we want our customers to use, is to produce a glossary of the terms that we have. And then that was a really interesting process of like collaborating with people across the organization to define all of these different parts of the product. And I still do that for new products that we release. So I really work on a, a product glossary for that product and that will go out to sort of our communications team and our marketing team and they'll understand exactly what we mean when we say x word so there's those things but in my day-to-day -day, i work really closely with the design team so i'm part of the design team so a lot of times i'm working directly in sketch yeah. and you know getting kind of comfortable with that and being able to just like share sketch files and work on things because while, you know, everything should be content first and you should design around the content, obviously it's actually more of a back and forth. Yeah. And that's actually the most fun and, and interesting way to do it. And um, after it's live and um, we decide to make changes, like, do you make those directly or do you do you put in requests or how does that um, A combination. So um, yeah. when I started, I was making requests, but it's obviously that's an incredible load in our developers. Yeah. And so I have a development environment and I can make changes directly to the code, as can all our designers. Yeah. Um, with a little bit of training, we were able to do that. Um, but we also use GitHub for just the sort of resolving right. issues and, and kind of we talk about like the pros and cons of that. It kind of there's a point where it sort of breaks where you're trying to like look at a whole system of terminology, like say we have like error messages or validation messages that change in all sorts of different contexts. And then you have this like long string of edits yeah. um, that are all in multiple comments. And then it's like, okay, where's the right one? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, those are great for collaboration, but not so great for version control from a content point of view. Right. So when you talk about like this glossary that kind of rules how we talk about everything, you know, I know we have a pretty extensive, say, design pattern library. And the rule there is, Something here will do the job, but use it. Think very carefully before adding to this library. Is it similar with your sort of glossary? Yeah, it definitely is. So we shouldn't come up with, say we have a word for uh, people, like teammate. We shouldn't necessarily come with up with different words to describe a people in a different way because we're talking about the product in a slightly different way. Um, and that can be tough because, you know, we work in lots of different areas. So we have like support contexts and marketing contexts. And in the sort of public domain, there are lots of different terms used to describe people like agents or, you know, different types of ways of describing customers. And so we have to sort of stick to our system-wide definition unless we have a really strong reason not to. Without defaming your colleagues, is it a problem that, like, when we're creating something new, everyone thinks that, like, everything should be new about this and there's a lot of new text and a lot of new UI patterns? I mean, I certainly see it on the UI side, right? Like, no matter what it is, it's like, oh, we need a day picker. We already have a day picker. Yeah, not one like this, you don't. Yeah. Um, does a similar thing happen with content? There's a little bit of that, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is breaking it down structurally so that, like, people, I think people look at words and they think, well, every new sentence is a brand new sentence, like, completely crafted, never been heard before. And actually, you know, if you look at the patterns behind the sentences, you know, the verb structures, how we use pronouns, like, all of those things have to follow a pattern, and often for really, really specific reasons. Like, we just had the experience of, 
saying we couldn't use a non-gendered pronoun in our uh, messenger because uh, we can't use gender pronouns because we don't ask your gender when you sign up to Intercom, yeah. um, like Facebook would. Um, and so we can't use a non-gender pronoun because it doesn't translate well. So there's all these okay. like different considerations right. that are really technical and specific that give you a lot of guidelines and constraints that focus the the way you can express things. Yeah. So there's definitely that. A lot of it is also like design itself. So I'm I'm definitely feel completely sort of supported in saying that we shouldn't use X pattern or Y pattern because the content purpose isn't best served by that. So like it might look better, but it isn't necessarily the right reason to use it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in that context, I would see it as like definitely more of a design decision as opposed to it just being the words themselves. We've talked a lot about the role of content, but within Intercom, the product, within our messenger that sits inside other people's products. But we're seeing this kind of rise of what, you know, I don't know, there's like multiple different names for this, conversational commerce, conversational interfaces, bots, etc. But the, the key point here, I guess, is that these are effectively bubbles going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no UI or there's very limited UI. And that puts a heavy, heavy emphasis on the words, which I presume like is in a sense possibly good news for kind of strategists because it's like finally people are you know have to have to play in our world. But I know you also you talked about this at Confab recently where you gave a workshop on it. What are the key things people need to think about from a content perspective if they're designing a chat based product basically? Yeah, I mean I think um, so. I gave my talk which really focused on bots and what we'd learned about bots from experimentation we'd done earlier this year. And a couple of the things that I think are really important that aren't necessarily considered are like the role of personification. So like how we have this sort of default, maybe from science fiction, that like bots are robots and robots have personality. Therefore, like, what are you going to call your bot? Which is completely jumping into a conclusion that it has to have a name or a personality. And what we've realized in testing is that, you know, in the wrong context, that that can really fail and can really be frustrating and annoying for people. Um, Is that because it's trying to be like, goofy and playful at a time when it's not useful or what? Not even. We've Mm -hmm. even found just literally having a first person pronoun and a name is frustrating because it's a cognitive like barrier to people. If you want to talk to a human being and then this bot pops up, it's different if you download an app that you know is going to be a bot and you want to engage with a bot. But if you download something or you're using something and you don't expect it, there's a completely different If if you're like, I'd like to book a flight and it's like, hi, I'm Tony. You're like, fuck off, Tony. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, Tony is not my objective here. And also I think it's the whole sequential aspect of it. So like, a, you know, conversational UI in general and bots more specifically can take a lot longer to get something done. It can be really quick if you know exactly what to say or mm-hmm. if it's structured in the right way and it's well, yeah. well structured. But I think it's like anything. Like sometimes I feel with bots where it's almost like back in the days when search didn't work well and yeah. you had to kind of like figure out how to search for something yeah, yeah, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost that like that with badly made yeah. bots is that you have to kind of figure out how to talk to the bot to get the answer you want, which should not be what we want yeah. to do. I mean, I, the funny thing about bots for me is like in the beginning, as Neil Stevenson once, once wrote, in the beginning there was the command line. Like we used to have this idea of an interface yeah. where you could type a limited number of commands in and it would react based on whether or not you got the syntax right. We've reinvented that and put chat bubbles around it and now everyone's shitting their pants basically thinking that the, the internet's going to change. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's also like bots themselves are a huge landscape with lots of differences. So there was some interesting research I read this year that that um, when you hear a voice uh, like with Siri or Alexa mm. or any kind of like voice operated bot, you're far more likely to trust it and far more likely to accept it as like a person or like yeah. an anthropomorphic thing yeah. than you are if you read text. So like with text, you're just like you disassociate from it completely, yeah. which explains a lot of why people's Internet comments are so terrible. Yeah. So there's that aspect of it. Like there's all these different weird psychological things yeah. going on. And that's so interesting and like just an incredible place to be in and to get to think about. And of course, it's like 
a great justification that like everything comes back to the words eventually. Yeah, yeah for sure. The interesting thing to me is like I think um, is Facebook's a lot of their popular bots like the one eight hundred flowers and stuff like that. They fall back to a restricted set of commands whenever they can and. Knowing Facebook, I'm sure that that's for the right reason. I'm sure it's for what performs a lot. I presume that's mostly a challenge of like natural language processing. So there's a million ways to say I want flowers, but there's only one way to click the flowers icon that's beside the chocolates icon, which is, you know, amongst other things, it's obvious, it's, you know, it occurs to me that we're reinventing UI inside a chat window. Um, but I think it also talks to like how, how difficult uh, it can be to interpret millions of ways people express themselves and yet to only really have one way for a bot to talk back now obviously the bot can adapt its own personality but like at some point you have to ask what are you really trying to do right like yeah exactly are you trying to create something that can communicate and that's more of like a science experiment or are you actually trying to create ui that's helpful yeah you're trying to sell flowers like yeah yeah, exactly i mean like not for nothing but like Facebook has a massive content strategy team. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, a couple of them spoke at Confab as well. And they had some really interesting points to make that were not sort of like it's bots or nothing. It yeah. was definitely like, you know, all of, we think of all of our UI as conversational, like yeah. every aspect of the UI is conversational. It's all about an interaction and it should all yeah. speak to you. And I definitely feel that that's true. So I think there's a little bit of that. And I think there's also a little bit of, you know, text based bots should be, you know, fulfilling a really specific use case. And so, therefore, while there's limitless ways to say I want flowers although it's probably maybe like 25 yeah. um, there's still kind of like the right way for your brand and your tone of voice and then yeah. the right way that has tested well that people aren't offended by and like there's all these different considerations like with any design that like narrow you down to the constraint that means like you're kind of picking between a couple of options and then like lastly like I guess whilst you know I'm sure it's fair to say like that content strategy is new in terms of it being a discipline that's isolated with its own sort of like community it's not like we weren't doing any of this before. It's just that it was like, as you said, it was one person's one eighth of their job, maybe. And maybe that person was a designer or whatever. How do you see content strategy evolving from here? It seems to be getting bigger. You're saying like Facebook has a massive team. I believe there are other similar sized companies with very large teams. Yeah, I, I was actually a, a good friend of mine joined Shopify's content strategy team and they're growing quite a lot. And I was looking, um, she pointed me to it, that they have a brand product product content strategist. So they have very specific like yeah. product content strategist, brand content strategist. So it's almost like it's, I mean, much as like user experience has, mm-hmm. it's like diversifying into the specific yeah. cases that it's trying to maintain. And I think like, you know, it, um, it's in content strategy's nature as it's in any like user experience designer or designer's nature to try to look at the whole of the problem and to try to want to solve everything to do with content within a you know a company or a product and i think what's happening is just that we're specializing in specific ways and um what's nice is that it's still a small enough industry that people are kind of learning from each other right. across the, you know the web world and the product world yeah. um and uh yeah there's just really really interesting stuff happening i think that's going to continue i think it's just going to solidify and and become more of just a, a natural part of every team. Yeah. Like it makes complete sense to me that you would have in any product team, you know, a product manager and a designer and a content strategist working together. And, and I've seen that work wonderfully, which when you think about it, isn't that far off, like working in advertising and having a copywriter yeah. and a designer yeah. working together. So it's really just sort of recognizing that the the words and the concepts behind the words don't just happen magically, that they need careful thought. Yeah, makes total sense. Okay, Elizabeth, thank you very much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.